what I sort of found is interesting from this exercise was the notion of picking your battles. Mm-hmm. So the, um, uh, an issue that came up that was more uh, concerning, I'd fight back more, where an issue came up that, yeah, it's not that important. The critic makes a point. He said, you know, you're kind of right, but I don't, I don't care. It was just kind of mm-hmm. interesting that there were degrees of, uh, of issues that can be more important or less important and how I would choose to fight back depending on the priority of the, of mm-hmm. the kind of problem. Right, right. Yeah, so picking your battles, being discerning about what's worth just letting slide by and what's worth addressing. Is that, is, am I following you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because some things, uh, you know, who cares? You know, you know. And other things like, oh, this really needs to be challenged or worked with or confronted. Or, yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, I found it really difficult to look at someone and say these really mean things, but then that left me with the question of why is it so easy for me to say them to myself? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. I, I I was also I was doing it also, and I found it very hard to say certain phrases. Some were easier than others, um, and uh, yeah, and easy to feel the pain when when we're in the role of the judge. It's easy to feel. Wow, that's really painful. Like, and painful to um, put yourself. You know, this is empathy. It's an empathy practice, right? We're putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and feeling the impact of those judgments, right? And as you say, very easy to not even notice that pain for ourselves, right? Or how easy it is just to throw off, you know, harshness and cruelty to ourselves without thinking, you know, that we would never say to somebody else. Um, so good to see that discrepancy, yeah? Because we want to ultimately bring that same quality of friendliness to ourselves, yeah? So a good example, and then I'll come to this lady who's got the mic. Um, so I was, uh, uh, I think I was on my way to Spirit Rock. All my good critic stories come from coming and driving to Spirit Rock. And uh, I had a meeting with my accountant, and I had a m- meeting with a friend and, and a student, I think. It was a complicated set of things on the way here. And uh, I hadn't done well with my timing, and I hadn't um, left enough time between appointments, and of course there was traffic, which I hadn't accounted for, and... <laughs> Um, and then my, uh, I got a, I got a flat, I got a flat tire in the parking lot of my, my accountant, and so the, which meant a whole succession of appointments were going to get delayed, and I would have to cancel something to get to Spirit Rock to, to give my class, and you know it was like complete setup for the critic to just you know attack me for my not so great calendar management. <laughs> And and it so I could feel it kind of revving its engines like oh here we go, <laughs> and then it was beautiful out of out of nowhere this compassionate voice came and said, oh this is hard for you, this is hard for you like it might sound easy to organize your calendar and make appointments and make enough time in between you know it's not that difficult in a certain and for whatever reason at times that is challenging for me, and instead of berating myself it was just like oh this is hard. Right? This somewhat simple mundane task at times is hard, and that completely dissolved the critic, right? As as love does, as compassion does, 
it it totally undercuts that harshness, the cruelty, and just go, oh. And it meets the reality of the situation, which is often the times that we are struggling, challenged at work or domestically or parenting, right? The last thing we need is judgment because it's already hard. You know, you know, we're not functioning well for a reason. It's not because we choose to mess up appointments or forget things or let people down, right? It happens out of circumstances. We're stressed, we're too busy, we've taken on too much, whatever it is. And the more that we can come to, well, what's actually going on here? Oh, this is just this particular, working in this with this client, with this colleague, it's hard for me and I get afraid. And my critic tells me to toughen up, but I'm actually really intimidated. And if I can be a, an ally with myself, then there's compassion, not ridicule, you know. So I'm not quite sure why I shared that, but it just seemed, you know, again, it's like it's so easy. To, it's, it's like the default to go to the judgment. And, um, but if we can pause a little bit, which is mindfulness often creates a pause to feel what's really going on here. And, that, and you know, the first thing is usually it's dukkha, it's suffering, it's hard. If we, can, if we can see that, that usually allows the heart to open more when we feel into our suffering of whatever the situation is. However mundane it is or however trivial the critic thinks it is, if it's hard, it's hard, you know, in that moment, right? Yes, so the... Um, so I found it was difficult to draw the line between the strategy of inquiry, of challenging whether it's true, without then getting into rationalization and actually engaging with the mm-hmm. critic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that to be a really challenging aspect. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that. So say, say that again. You, you found so, it challenging to challenge... To, so to, like to, one to, of the strategies is questioning whether the judgment is true. Right. And as part of that, then I felt like I began to rationalize or counterattack uh-huh. and engaging in dialogue as uh-huh. a result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did that go? It, not well. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> So, um, so the critic was saying something that you thought was that you believed to be untrue, right? And so you were trying to defend, you were trying to assert that point of view that it's actually that's not true. Right. That, that, um, yeah. So, you know, again, we're orienting towards a sort of dismissive, disinterested orientation. So, um, uh, the the assertion of well, actually, that's not true is done in a way not waiting for the retort. Just, yeah, well, actually, that's not true. And, you know, go away. You know, it's actually not, that's not the truth. That's not, that's not what's actually going on. Um, but not giving much attention. Or you say exactly what it is, which is, well, that's an interesting point of view you have. Thanks for your point of view. You know, we have different points of view. End of story. Right? So you're going, to, you're going towards disengagement. <laughs> that, that's the thrust of the the uh, defense, right? So, um, and as soon as you get into defending the truthfulness, well, no, 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 this is how it is from my point of view and you don't understand and lost, game over. So it's really, um, yeah, it wants to have a quite a Teflon dismissive quality to it. Yeah. Uh, or you say, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Because we don't need to prove to ourselves, we don't need to prove, we don't need to justify our position. Because if, as soon as we're doing that, we've given power to the, to, to the critic. Right? It doesn't matter whether the critic thinks something is this way and you know it's this way. 
and just go, oh, well, that's an interesting, erroneous point of view you have. Thanks. <laughs> Great. <clears throat> yes, in here. I found it hard to even um, disagree with the critic in the first place mm. um, and to dismiss it. Um, mm-hmm. And I was trying to, um, like, say, okay, that's painful, but then it was just feeling more painful. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if you mm-hmm. can suggest what I could have done other, yeah. other than that. Yeah. Anybody else find it hard to disagree or say no? Or Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, this isn't easy work, and if we haven't done any of this work, then it's this is quite a one eighty degree turnaround, right? To to from one from one mode to be listening, 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 believing, believing, and buying into, to suddenly actually taking a step back and questioning or inquiring or saying no or ridiculing or playful, being playful. Um, so this is not going to just. You know, like, oh, now I've got my little bag of tricks. And let me, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, critic. Uh, disinterest. Uh, thank you for your advice. Right? It's, you know, it's going to take a while. Um, so, and for some people, and maybe true for you, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, what, one of you just have to keep playing with different strategies, right? So, so you said that it was hard to, Stand up to the critic and say n- and disagree with it, right? Yeah, right. and also, and then you started saying, you started talking about how painful it was, but then you just kept going into the pain of it, right? And then I felt like I sort of reached a stalemate with the critic mm-hmm. because I didn't want to necessarily get into you know rationalizing, mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah, yeah. So um, for my when I started doing this work. Um, and this is very true in the in the diamond approach work for the most part. Um, in the beginning, as I've said, that often what's necessary is we need to create some space, right? Especially if we've listened to the critic a lot, we need to get the 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 the, the omnipresent pressure of the critic a little off our backs, which is more the more sort of fierce thwarting. No, thank you, not interested. Go away not listening, fuck off, go away. You know, like just being very clear, strong, not interested, go bother somebody else, have a nice day, please go away. So, uh, excuse my French. Um, that's why it's good to do it in the car, loudly. Um, <laughs> uh, mine was mostly shut the fuck up. Like, just shut the fuck up. Like, I'm not interested, right? Um, and that, you know, it's, it's limited in its use, but it has a use, which is like, just give me some space. Like, I don't care what you think, just shut up. So I can actually be with whatever I'm trying to do, whether it's my work or my inner process or whatever. Yeah? So, um, so it's this sort of like, no, stop, not interested, not listening. I don't care whether it's right or wrong, true or not, you're just not interested. Because we know if we go down that road, it's a painful road, right? Because it's not going to be saying nice things to us for the most part. Unless we're following its curriculum and then it gives us a temporary pat on the back. Right? So um, maybe, I don't know if that's where, what you need, but it might be. You might need a stronger, like, just no. No, not even going to pay attention. Not interested. Thank you. And again, you, you do the no, not then therefore deleting the rest of the work, but you do the no, and then you go, 
and as I was, it was happening when I was doing an inquiry here with somebody, um, the, the first step is the no, go away, not interested. And the second phase is what's happening here. It's like, oh, that was really painful. So you were, you, were, you were doing that place of feeling the pain, but we, we need to cr- create some space from the critic before we can drop into the pain a little bit. Right? So the first phase is creating space. Second space is, well, what's going on here? Wow, I'm really collapsed. I feel really sad. I feel like, you know, I feel like the critic's right. I feel like I'm a loser. And wow, it's just really painful to buy into that. And so we, we bring compassion and awareness and kindness and curiosity to that. Right? But hopefully without the critic every two seconds interjecting something. You know? So just as we would, you know, if you're in a heated conversation and someone's just being very negative and critical, you would, you know, ideally have them be quiet so you can actually have some discussion. So play with that. Yeah. Yes, the back, the back. Oh, and there's someone else has the mic. Yeah. Who has the mic? I can't see them. Oh, yeah. Yes. Should I go? Yes, please. Okay. Um, for the process, I found it quite unifying. Like mm-hmm. to to hear other people's critics, that I could really resonate. It was very um, reassuring and sort of surprising that I felt like I'd had the same. Um, it, I came away feeling my inner critic is not just my own; that it's actually very universal, even the the right. content. Yes. Um, and then just a content question, and you, your stories have brought this up a lot for me, and maybe for later you could address it. But just this idea of procrastination around the crit and the critic. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, um, the collapse with procrastination until the very end seems like it could be a critic phenomenon. And I was curious, from your perspective, what happens at the end when the deadline comes? It's like the critic goes away, or what happens where like, then you can go into action? Just would love your thoughts on that. I'm not following you that piece about collapsing towards the end of the process. What do you mean? Oh, no. I mean, I think that until the deadline is near... Um, deadline of what? Whatever the task is, right? Uh-huh. And the collapse seems to happen until there's urgency. Right. So I'm wondering if it's the critic until the urgency. And then what happens once the urgency is there where the critics and sometimes like become quiet? Uh-huh. I'm wondering if you have any perspective yeah. on that. Yes, I do. <laughs> so let me give you a very current example. Teachers generally like to give examples of, well, you know, 20 years ago when I was working with this, you know, uh, this morning, when I was working with this issue of procrastination, of looking at my notes for my day, um, and I was busily surfing on the net looking for something, I don't even know what it was now, um, probably news about who knows what, Bernardino, Bernardino, San Bernardino. Um, and uh, so I have, uh, I, have a, you know, I have some ADD tendencies, which many of us do, whether we're diagnosed or not. And um, part of that diagnosis is we like we need urgency to engage all of our you know faculties, and so um, my system has a very good way of procrastinating, like surfing on the net. No, I'm not sure. No, I'm sure nobody else does that here, but you know, I do occasionally. And um, and then there there is a time crunch to prepare in this case for the class, and so you know all systems are firing, and um, of course there wasn't quite enough time, as much time as I would have liked. And uh, and my critic was on my case, of course, for not allowing enough time uh, for the preparation. And um, so I think there's multiple factors involved. Um, you know, I think it's useful to understand our psyche and our mechanism and um, 
our tendencies. So I, I can put mine in the, in the camp of sort of ADD style tendencies, procrastination, needing that urgency and deadline to really uh, get focused and deliver. Uh, maybe similar for you, maybe not. Um, and it may be that the, the, the critic, the, the, there's a presence of a critic in the procrastination or in the collapse, maybe not. Um, and yeah, so I think, I think you know, you're bringing in other issues, you know, like attention issues um, that mm, you know, overlap in these, in these areas of, of working with the, the judging mind. And so I think, you know, so for me it was incredibly um, uh, helpful. Actually, my, my, one of my teachers gave me a list of... Um, 20 typical symptoms of someone with ADD. And most of them weren't about attention. They're about procrastination, they're about anxiety, about decision making, there are all kinds of other things that I had not really put into that spectrum of... of, uh, uh. And um, and it actually allowed me a lot of compassion for things that my critic is mostly on my case about those things, Mm. right? About attention, right, Mr. Mindfulness, scheduling, you know, that's an attention issue. Um, procrastination around decisions, because I have so many decisions all the time, I procrastinate around them. And um, so when we have a bigger picture understanding of that, then instead of judging ourselves, we can feel compassion, because this is not our strength. Mm. And we get help, and we get resources, and we do what we can, not to appease the critic, but to free ourselves from the suffering. Right? When I when I mix it when I double book an appointment I feel the pain of it, right? Because I don't want to do that, right? It's, you know, it's disrespectful for somebody and all of that. Um, so you know, so you're bringing in this broader issue of, you know, there's our, our, our life and our, and, our, and our critic, and then there's all these other patterns or diagnoses or whatever you like to call tendencies, our human behaviors that are impacting, right? And sometimes our critic, like mine, is. Uh, is 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 often very critical of the very things that are somewhat hardwired a little bit, um, and so when we understand those, there can be more space for compassion. That's really helpful. I thought at first that maybe the urgency made the critic voice go quiet or sort of drowned out the critic's voice, which is why I could then deliver. But how you reframed it <clears throat> was much more about maybe that's the way I create, right? And that yeah. and that maybe that's just how it is, and that I should allow some space. So thank you. That was right. really helpful. Yeah, you know, and, 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 I, and I can often, I, mean, I used to be on my case about how come I never leave enough time to prepare for my talks, you know. Sometimes I leave the whole day free to prepare, and I end up, you know, like the hour before my talk, I'll get down to it. And now I just trust that's just the way I work, and it's, it's fine, and it's, it's good, and, you know, I like to be different, yeah. And I get times I can I can structure that in, and mostly I don't, you know. And I just come to surrender. That's my nature, and the critic is whatever it has to say is somewhat irrelevant, you know. So I wasn't meaning to be so self-disclosing about all my foibles, but there you go. <laughs> yes. So we've talked about um, the voice of the inner critic not being how we'd want to be talked to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these strategies use uh, sarcasm and disinterest and fierceness and the inner critic being a part of ourselves, I think. If I was the inner critic and being treated in that way, um, I wouldn't like that. So with the inner critic being a very much a part of ourselves, how do you square 
that attitude towards something which is yeah. part of us. Yeah. No, it's an it's an interesting point. Um, uh, you know, my first response is, well, tough luck. You know, um, uh, you know, we have, you know, uh, you know, we're complicated beings. We're complicated psyches, and uh, you know, we have within us both beautiful and and challenging qualities and tendencies, right? You know, we all have latent within us. The Buddha called them latent tendencies, right? When I hear about atrocities and bombings and violence and hatred and greed, you know, we can think, well, that's just them over there, those people, whoever they are. Right? But if we look to our own mind, we see the seeds of hatred and greed and selfishness and all of that, right? And we want to be skillful with how we relate to, to all of that, right? With awareness, with compassion, with wisdom, with inquiry, with whatever skillful means necessary. Um, so I'm not sure if it's similar to Malcolm X's by whatever means necessary. Um, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but... So uh, with that, um, you know, there are sometimes parts of our psyche that need quite strong treatment, right? Quite a lot of fierceness, right? You know, our compulsions and addictions, for example, sometimes we have to be really clear and somewhat ruthless about not acting out our impulses and addictions and compulsions. Right? We try to, and we, we do that with wisdom and compassion, but it might look quite fierce, right? So the, the work with the critic, we're not making the critic into an enemy, we're understanding it's a source of immense suffering. And there are many different strategies that are helpful to counteract that um, force in the mind. And uh, one of those can be fierceness. Uh, one of those can be sarcasm. One of those can be disinterest. Right? So you're right in that um, we don't really want to be treating ourselves like that. We want to be treating ourselves with kindness and love. But sometimes, as you know, uh, raising uh, children, for instance, sometimes that love manifests as fierceness. It, re- it manifests as boundaries. It manifests as a very strong no. Right? So we're bringing that kind of principle to our psyche, to our aspects of our psyche, that have gone a little wayward. Right? So, um, you know, again, we're not, so, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, th- with this work to sort of make the critic into an enemy. It's really understanding that it's a, it's a, you know, it's a habit energy in the mind that's, that's developed a lot of momentum and a lot of power and done a lot of damage. And so we need to have an array of tools how to work with that because it's, it is so damaging. So that's where it's coming from. It's coming from wisdom and love, actually. But sometimes we need to employ you know, various strategies that might not look very nicey-nicey on the outside. Um, but we're actually doing it in, in, in protection of our well-being. Right? So it might, not, it might seem a little weird in a, in a you know, nice, loving Buddhist setting to hear someone say, you know, tell your critic to shut the fuck up. 
Um, but that, in that moment, for someone, might be an effective strategy, not as an end in itself, and not the only one. And you, that's really a means to an end. Um, you know, and, and there are other people who work with the critic who don't buy into this particular more fierce aspect of the work. And I, you know, I respect their points of view. And I've seen for myself and for other people that at times, and in certain places, that is necessary. Um, so that's where I stand on it. Yeah. Yes, please, in the stripey. Hello? Yep. Just hold it close. I always think of my inner critic as, this is not me. This is just a thought that I have. Mm-hmm. So if I'm mean to that, that's a thought that I'm just being mean to. It's mm-hmm. not a physical thing that I'm being mean to it. So if I'm being mean to it, it's all right. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. way I think of it. Yeah. Yeah, and thanks for bringing that up. There's one thing I, I didn't get to, which is um, one of, you know, the deeper reflection with mindfulness when we, when we become, you know, we cultivate that self-awareness and awareness of our thoughts and our mental processes, we see that it, none of it's us. Right? That it's happening selflessly by itself. Right? Did you did you ever ask for one critical? Did you ever purposely summon up one of these critical thoughts, or do they just happen? They just happen. They're hardwired to some degree. They're conditioned by our conditioning, and they come out under certain circumstances. Right? We forget something, the critic comes up, or whatever your trigger is—a messy house. The trigger, the, the critic comes up. Right? They're conditioned. Impersonal processes, and yeah, yeah, that's enough said. So there's the the book, um, Mark Epstein, the psychoanalyst who wrote the book Thoughts Without a Thinker. Right? Thoughts think themselves. Right? So with awareness, we're learning to come into a wise relationship with these thoughts that think themselves. The thoughts on us, they're not who we are. We we identify with thoughts as who we are my thoughts, my cherished little favorite thoughts of how wise my thoughts are. But they're just, they're conditioned processes. That the more we see that from that vantage point that they're not who we are, that they're impersonal, the more space we have them. We just see it's just thoughts, whether they're critical thoughts or kind thoughts, they're just thoughts. And so that again allows more spaciousness, not to hold them so tightly. Someone back yet? When Chloe here looked at me and said, Derek, you're not enough. You're not living up to your fullest potential right now. It really hurt. Mm -hmm. And... I allowed myself to feel that hurt. Good. And something, something shifted. And I don't know what, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. Chloe the critic just looked a little bit different. Hmm. Yeah. My guess is, is some compassion arose, would be my guess. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, my guess is that there was some shifting from the 
the voice of that's saying you're not enough to feeling the existential pain of that. You know, it's really painful to believe this story, this idea from who knows where that we're not enough. I mean, how cruel to inflict that on somebody because what do you do with that? You can't really go anywhere with that. You can begin an endless self-improvement exercise, but if that belief has taken root, it's not going to work. You're going to be on the hamster wheel of self-improvement. So when we just let that in, I'm not enough. Wow, that's really hard to be with. Allow some compassion, allow some space. And hopefully allows in a little more truth about that reality, that unreality. You know, we see, and Byron Katie's work is really, really profound on this, is the, you know, she talks, you know, a lot about the power of our thoughts. Right? How, you know, and then the Buddha did it also. You know, with us, the Buddha said, um, in the Dhammapada, he said, with our thoughts we make the world. Thoughts are the forerunner of all things. With our thoughts we make the world. What we think is what we see, what we think is what we believe, what we think is what we take to be reality, and it's not, it's just a thought, it's a perspective. And those thoughts can't come close to what is more essential in our being, in our essence, which is so much deeper than the level of thoughts, of concepts, of ideas. You know, who we are, our essence, our nature, our Buddha nature cannot be spoken to in words. It's something we feel, we sense, we know. It's beyond good and bad, beyond right and wrong. And the critic has like just, it's just irrelevant on that level, irrelevant. But that takes for most of us some some understanding, some getting to know, some practice, some reflection, some deep contemplation. So I was writing in my book recently, I occasionally meet people who don't really have an inner critic and seems like maybe never really had one, or not much of a one. You ever met those people? And they have an incredible lightness to them. There's kind of an ease there's kind of a gracefulness and they might, you know, they make mistakes, they trip over, they say the wrong thing and they laugh. And they go, oh well, oh well, I guess we get to do it a different way next time. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> You're not giving yourself a hard time? I mean, you fucked up, man. I mean, you know. <laughs> no, no, really, just, you know, I guess, you know, we tried this way and now we're going to do it next, this other way, you know. And it's so refreshing. Um, and it's and it's possible, you know. And I've certainly seen this in, in in my own work, my own practice of finding a lot of space and ease from the critic, you know, and also getting caught still, you know. Um, but mostly more space and more humor and more lightness. You know, this practice of Dharma teachings of awakening is about unburdening our burdens, lightening our load. Right? And the work with the critic, why I teach this work, is because it's a way of lightening the load. Right? We're enlightening 
ourselves from the burden of these erroneous views and judgments and ideas and beliefs that cause so much pain. So anything else? <clears throat> yes, so a couple more hands and then I'll get to this gentleman's question. So lady in magenta, blue, turquoise. <laughs> Oh, here. No, here we go. Uh, okay. Um, so it seems to me that, at least for me, there's a connection with um, the critic and the desire for self-soothing. And if you turn the coin over from the self-critic, there's that deep desire for somebody to praise me or or to praise myself, which I can't find. So, and that, that plays out in that the critic says... Uh, you're not keeping the house clean enough. You're not cooking enough. And then I run around, I clean everything and all, and then I can go momentarily, ah, I'm a good girl, you know. And so, but how do you, but you said earlier, don't engage. That's engaging between the critic and the self-soothing. I'm having a conversation about how I can make myself feel better. And I know that I will feel better for a few minutes. So how do you, deal with this cycle, at least I have this mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure many, many people can relate to what you're saying. Um, so, you know, one way to play with this, just as a practice, and this may be true for you and for many people here, so, you know, say it's the weekend and you notice the house is a mess and you notice that little tension or anxiety or you can hear the, the judgment, you know. And... Um, before you engage in cleaning up, right? I mean, you you know, and, and um, just sit for five minutes and feel into that sense that you're okay just as you are, whether you clean the house or not. And that you're cleaning the house because you like a clean house, not because you're doing it because the critic's going to be mad if you don't. Right? So you try and tune into a place of you know, can I find a sense of okayness here amidst the mess? Can I separate my worth or value from whether the house is messy or not? Can I? So it's so it is a kind of soothing. So meta loving kindness is a form of self-soothing in a certain respect. May I be well. May I be happy. May I love myself just as I am. Right? We're giving ourselves balming, soothing words that reminding us I'm okay. I'm loved. I'm whole. It's okay just here. And then you clean the house from that place, not from the deficient place, I'll be only better when I get to the clean house. Right? Same, same result, clean house, dirty house, clean house. But it's done with a sense of relaxation and ease, not tightness and tension. Right? So, so you, you do that practice of matter, of kindness, of being with yourself. And this is, this, you know, um, replicate this to whatever your circumstances, whatever your version of the messy house is. See if you can find this place of relaxation and okayness with, I'm okay just as I am, prior to the activity. And as soon as you get, as soon as you start, say, cleaning the house and you get tense, oh, I've got to clean the house, I've got to get done, you stop and you just take a moment, you breathe, maybe put your hand on your chest, may I love myself just as I am. Things are okay just as they are. And then you continue. 
right? So you're interrupting that driven, tight, got to get it done, got to do it before I can relax, so I can be okay with myself for a few minutes before the judge says, oh, well, you got to deal with the garage now, you know, right? Because it's endless, right? You clean the house and then you relax a few minutes. Oh, I'll put my feet up. I mean, I, I, this happens a lot where I work with students and, and they never give themselves a break because there's always a huge list. There's the emails to return. Then there's the house to clean. Then there's the kids' lunches. And then there's, you know, like, it's endless. And then you die, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, you know, so like, why not interrupt that process? <laughs> and give yourself a space, you know, because, you know, I mean, I just, you know, I just was teaching in Senegal in West Africa where, you know, it's very different life circumstances for people. And... um and I didn't feel that sense of drivenness there, you know. Some, obviously, a big city, Dakar. But there's, you know, a lot of people just hanging out, you know. And I don't think the critic's very big there, you know. I mean, I'm sure there's a flavor of, you know, I'm sure each culture has its flavor. Um, but it wasn't about doing and being busy and getting ahead, you know. It, 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 I wasn't feeling that. It was a sense of like, Ease, you know, it was delightful. It was refreshing, you know, and, and, and a sense of an you know, incredibly warm social culture. So a lot of time with people, you know, that was prioritized above and beyond, you know, the do, relentless doing and striving, you know. And um, and we've lost that, you know. We 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 live in you know in the Bay Area is a particularly driven version of that, you know. So we, we, and we buy into that trance, you know, mostly, I think, you know, the busyness, doing, doing workshops, you know, whatever it is, whatever version of doing we are. So can we keep pausing, stopping, and, and, and in a way, as you say, self-soothing or just resting? You know, I find if I do that, it interrupts that cycle of deficiency from which I'm acting out. I find a sense of ease, and then I do the same thing. It's even if it's washing the dishes, it's so much more pleasurable. Then got to get it done because then that part of me relaxes because I know my critic's not going to be on my case. Right? So have fun cleaning your house, <laughs> or not. <laughs> and then the other th- the other great practice is just to sit in a messy house and go fuck it. You know, <laughs> I don't care how messy the house is. In fact, I'm just going to get the Ramona. <laughs> and just watch the critic do its little thing. You know, you should be doing that. There's so many projects. You know, you can't watch HBO. That's your reward at the end of the day, not the middle of the day, God's sake. <laughs> so that's also a nice practice. Just go, well, thank you for your opinion about whether I should do this weekend or all these different tasks. I'm going to lie on the couch for a few hours. I actually have this one client who's very industrious and very busy and successful. And uh, I love giving her hammock practice. She has a hammock in her backyard, which she never goes in because, you know, she's too busy and too many important things to do. And she hates it when I give her that practice. Oh, no, not the hammock. Oh, no. I mean, half an hour, you're kidding. Oh, God. I have to lie there and do nothing? <laughs> no cell phone? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, just, you know, because actually I was talking about someone, where I forget where I was, oh, I was yesterday, I was teaching, I work on this Search Inside Yourself, this Google 
leadership program and I was helping them with their teacher training and uh, and I was, so I was leading a day of meditation for this training and, and, and even I, even after all these years of sitting, when I sit or when I come to lead a day of sitting and I first sit, it's like, oh, how nice to sit. Still, nothing to do, breathe. Like, how oh, delicious. And someone said, how come we don't do that? I mean, it's like, it's like so many of us enjoy once we get there. It's so hard to give ourselves permission just to let it all go for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And, um, and I think partly it's this, this, this cycle we're in of doing, of feeling the pressure from the critic. There's almost so much to do. And, it's not, and so we have to sit for, we have to get over the hump of sitting still for a few minutes, feeling all that. But I've got this, oh, you know, this workload, and, da, 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 and this sitting around just not doing anything. Right? We have to sit through that. And then at some point, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, this is actually quite nice. <laughs> oh, I like this. Right? And we, so it's like we have to give ourselves that gift. We have to remind ourselves to interrupt that, the, the tyrant, you know, the inner tyrant here. The taskmaster, the doer, right? That's always, always doing, doing, doing. Okay, so um, I think we should. Uh, I think we should stretch a little, and then we should do one last sit. And I know I have a question for you about the origin of the critic. I think I might get you that one-on-one uh, after the class. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.